course of Advent and Christmas, we'll be hearing uh, the scriptures uh, related to the prophecy of Christ's birth and his uh, coming, and we'll also share together around the Lord's table. As we begin our worship this morning, I would invite you to stand, if you would, and join with us as we begin with our opening carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Gracious Father, as we come together in this place this morning, we do so with great anticipation, Father, of your sacred and divine presence and blessing upon all that we do. I pray, Father, for each of our hearts that they might be open to your speaking and that you would have free will, Father, to work in us for your good pleasure. Father, bless this service, we pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. What a great bunch of kids we've got here this morning. We're going to hear from the Rainbow Ringers as we give our tithes and offerings to the Lord. It's time to celebrate with our giving. God bless you as you give.
Didn't they do a good job? Just give them a hand one more time. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this.
first candle of Advent season is the prophet's candle, which signifies hope. And as I thought about the word hope, I looked up the definition and it says to look forward to with confidence and expectation. And I think we have taken the word hope and changed the meaning of it. We use it too often. I hope that my team wins. In that case, for me, it's the Ohio State Buckeyes. Sorry. Or I hope that it's going to be sunny today. Or I hope this. In other words, we're almost saying, I wish. We don't use this definition saying looking forward to with confidence or expectation. It's more of a maybe it will happen. But I'm not sure it's really going to. I just hope it will. Or I wish it will. And I think we do that in terms, we use that same type of definition, the wishing, when it comes to Jesus, and it needs not to be so. As we look into Scripture, in Isaiah chapter 49, it says, Then you will know that I am the Lord. These who hope in me will not, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. How many times do we say, I hope this is going to happen and we're disappointed? Or I hope this and we're disappointed? According to that scripture, if we hope in the Lord, we're not going to be disappointed. That's where our hope should be. Our hope shouldn't be in a certain thing. Our hope shouldn't be in any other person except for Christ alone. In Psalm 119, it says, You are my refuge and shield. I have put my hope in your word. How many times do we read this with confidence and with expectation, knowing full well that what we hope in is going to come true? Or do we just say, I wish? I want to encourage you this morning that we take back the word hope and that we put hope to only mean that we are going to put our hope in one person and one person alone, and that's Jesus Christ. Let me leave you with a verse from Romans 15. It says, May the God of hope... Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May this Christmas season you overflow with hope. As I light the first candle in the Advent, remind us of the hope that the Old Testament prophets had, as they expected and predicted the coming of our Messiah. And Jesus still is our only hope. While you remain seated, join together in singing, Come Thou Long, Expected Jesus. Come Thou Long,
The second candle on our Advent wreath is the Bethlehem candle prophesied by Micah in chapter 5, the place where God's peace would first be announced. Verses 2 through 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. As Christ prepared to leave his disciples and return to his Father in heaven, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. What kind of peace does the world offer? Well, it's one that depends entirely on circumstances. It brings no ease for the heart, no contentment for the mind, and no rest for the soul. It's only a counterfeit, and it doesn't last. By contrast, what does the peace of God look like? Consider this picture. A contest was once held among artists to capture on canvas the essence of peace, hoping to catch the judge's eye and win the blue ribbon. Entries were submitted of restful sunsets, of beautifully painted flowers, of quiet, inviting brooks, and of lush green meadows. But the painting that won was unlike any of these. Rather, it was of a mother gull and her brood of chicks nestled in the cleft of a rock as a raging storm battered round about them. God's peace is not the opposite of turmoil and unrest, but the quiet strength to go through. Losing one's health, a well-paying job, a treasured dream, or cherished loved one is not unlike that storm. The thunder roars, the lightning cracks, and the gale all but knocks you over. But God's message to us today is that no matter what the storm, we too can be at peace. For the Bible says God will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in him, for he himself is our peace. So do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So then, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. And so on the second day second Sunday of Advent, and on each day until Christmas, we light the Bethlehem candle, which reminds us of God's peace, his precious promise of peace, one that the world cannot give and cannot take away.
Again, while you remain seated, join together in singing Phillips Brooks' text, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Our next story is one that is familiar uh, probably to most of you, maybe even all of you here. This passage, if you're a regular churchgoer, you hear it read in church every Sunday uh, or every Christmas rather. Maybe you read it in your home with your family every Christmas. If you're not a regular churchgoer, maybe the story that's familiar to you is hearing Linus read it on the peanuts in their Christmas special uh, every year. The story comes from Matthew or from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. Luke writes the following. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The third candle is joy. And joy is often equated with happiness. But as you know, happiness is only an emotion. Uh, It comes and goes depending on how you feel at that particular moment. And so eating a great Thanksgiving meal or opening Christmas presents often makes us feel happy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have joy 
inside of you. Now, joy, on the other hand, is something that comes from the very core of a person, from deep inside, and is based more on a set of beliefs than on emotions. And so while happiness is something that you can have taken away from you in an instant, joy is something that no one can ever take away from you because it's God-given. In Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah Uh, has rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And after the people of Israel have returned to the city after their time in captivity, and they've seen the new walls, but they've seen also their city still lying in ruins, Nehemiah says to them, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I believe that this morning God wants to say to you, Do not grieve in your personal struggles, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And in a time of economic crisis and unemployment, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And in a time when the world around you is getting more and more sinful, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it may not make us happy, but we can still have joy in the fact that in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. The third candle is pink. And on the third Sunday of Advent, and on the days thereafter, it's lit to represent the joy of the shepherds as they shared in the birth of the Christ child. Joy has come, a light in the darkness. Amen. Will you stand together and join in singing the carol, Joy to the World. Joy to the world. Scripture reading this morning follows Steve's in the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Remember the angel previously. Suddenly, 
a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom he is favors rests. And when the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Angels. Angels are God's messengers. In Luke's gospel, God sent an angel on a very specific mission to visit certain shepherds. The angel heralded the arrival of the Messiah, God's anointed one, the only son of God. Now, as we read in Scripture, angels can be holy, fiery creatures who can reflect the shining glory of God. The angels have a way of getting people's attention. And if you read the King James Version of it, you can see the reaction in the shepherds. For they were sore afraid. They were terrified. So it's interesting to see how the message of the angel starts. And it starts with, do not be afraid. For this angel was very specific that he had to be heard clearly. There can be no room for dispute. No room for question. For the good news must be delivered to the shepherds. And that good news was to be for all people. That the Savior, a baby, has been born in Bethlehem. To underscore this message of the single angel came a score, a heavenly host, a company, messengers of God in the highest, proclaiming the glory to God and the idea of peace on earth to men with whom his favor rests. The shepherds, the shepherds get the message. They receive it for themselves personally. Interesting, they don't act like a modern day commentator. They don't tell the angels, we think you have the wrong address. We don't think you're supposed to talk to us. Maybe you're lost. Maybe you need directions. Maybe you ought to go scare some people in Jerusalem. Or there's a guy in Rome that you really need to scare. That will give us a savior. But thankfully, the shepherds humbly listened to the message. And they rejoiced that God had sought them out and found them. So they accepted the angel's message and the responsibility to spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. The Apostle John brings more to this. And he explains the message in this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The angels bring us this clear message. God's love is pursuing us. God's love is pursuing us. And fear, when it's given over to faith, can be quickly translated into love. That's God's way of doing things. 
For the Apostle John tells us that God is love. And there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. We love because he first loved us. God's pursuit of us in love brings us into a relationship with the eternal fellowship of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, together as one, ever existing as the lover, the beloved, in the spirit of love that unites them. The persistence of God's love turns the world upside down. Jesus was born into a world that was a very scary place. And because of the love of Christ, he pursues us into our own personal scary places in order to save us. So again, the message is clear. Perfect love drives out fear. God loved us first and is the giver of the greatest gift, a gift that we continue to open and open and open. And each time we do it, we discover in our amazement that the gift is Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. So in this season of Advent, hear the words of the angel. The pursuing love of God is near. Don't be afraid. Don't miss the signs. Instead, go and see. And don't forget to get caught by the pursuing love of God, who is Christ our Lord. So our fourth candle reminds us of the Father's great love for us in sending the gift of his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Redeemer, the one whom we love because he first loved us. Again, while you remain seated, join together in singing the carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Hark the Herald Angels Sing, for the true and newborn King, peace on earth, mercy on earth, God and
fifth and final scripture today comes from the Gospel of John. It's recorded in the first chapter, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. The Word of the Lord. For I know that as I hold you here 
story so very well, don't we? But it seems to me that far too often we tend to romanticize the Christmas story. There is that tendency on our part to to want to smear Vaseline over the lens, to soften the scene in Bethlehem's manger with mood lighting, to pink it up, to sanitize it, to make it cleaner. But when you look at the details of the Christmas story, you have to admit it's a rather messy thing. And it's full of ordinary, ordinary people and things. Think of it. An ordinary peasant girl. A teenager. Betrothed to an ordinary union worker. A carpenter. Both of them from a backwater town in Nazareth in the hill country of Galilee. And everyone knew in those days that nothing good comes from Galilee. Jesus' parents couldn't afford a room. They had no reservation. They failed to call the 800 number ahead to make room for the night. The whole thing is rather poorly put together. It's so understated. It's so very common. Born in a cave, wrapped in mere shreds of cloth, laid in a cow's feeding trough, hailed by peasant shepherds. If we were scripting this for Hollywood today, we would prefer that the baby infant king would be wrapped in ermine and purple, would be wearing a tiny crown and holding a gold scepter, 
After all, the baby there in Bethlehem's stall is the Son of God. And as the Nicene Creed of the church puts it, the baby there is God of God's light of light, very God of very God, who for us and for our salvation came down to earth. So don't you forget it. While this baby seems to our human view to be so very ordinary, just another, sure, that's a baby, this is God lying in the manger. This is Emmanuel, God with us. He's come to know our lot. He's come to experience everything that you and I experience in this pilgrim sojourn here on earth. The terrible, the hair-raising, the wonderful, the passionate, the sweaty, the painful, the glorious, the awful experience of life. Madeleine L'Engle, who passed away a couple of years ago, a poet and a writer, put it so well when she wrote, The problem with Christmas lies not in secular bacchanalias. And let me just pause. I expect everybody to go home and look up that word. You can report in next Sunday. Not in Santa Clauses with cotton beards. Not in shops full of people pushing and shouting and swearing at each other as they struggle to buy overpriced Christmas presents. No, it's not the secular world which presents me with problems about Christmas. It's God. Cribbed, cabined, and confined within the contours of a human infant. The infinite defined by the finite. The creator of all, thirsty and abandoned. Why, why, oh why, would God do such a thing? Madeline, I know the answer. I know why God did such a thing. God did this for love. For love of us. For love of humankind. For love of the whole world. For people who've not yet heard about His glorious grace. For love of all that is. God has done this. He took on the robes of human flesh. And He dwelt among us. And was given the name Emmanuel. To remind us that God is with us. And how very desperately this old world needs that mantle of grace to fall across its shoulders and drape us in its warmth. To be reminded that God in His love gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And what the Christmas story tries to get through our thick skulls is this. It's a simple, ordinary truth. God loves you. He loves you so much that He was willing to give up His only Son and clothe Him in flesh and pitch His tent in our midst to know our lot. But not only that, God loves you so much 
that he was willing to be obedient to the Father's plan, and he even tasted death so that you and I could experience life. So I say to you, young man and young woman, with your life ahead of you, just graduated from university and college, dreaming of a great a new career with a six-figure salary, but looking for a job in a time when our economy is the worst possible, I would say to you, young woman and young man, take heart, because God is with us. You who are newly married, and you will be spending your first Christmas together this year, you're excited about the joy of being married and forgetting about the pain and the sorrows that may come your way in being married. I would say to you on your first Christmas, take heart, because God is with you. To you who watch the news every night, and you read the front page of the paper, and you long for the day when the endless war in Iraq and Afghanistan can come to an end and our young women and men no longer have to fight a war on foreign shores, there is good news because God is with us. You who are here this morning who've looked cancer in the eyes or MS or melanoma or you found a lump on your breast only a few days ago, and you're frightened to death, you're scared as a rabbit, you're unsure what the new year will bring, I say to you this morning, take heart, because God is with you. The word of the angel to those frightened shepherds was, Behold, I bring you great tidings, of good joy which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, finish it with me, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Jesus has come to shine in our darkness. Bring joy in the midst of our despair. Bring peace when there's no peace that's around us. To bring us hope when many people are just wishing for a brighter day we are reminded today that God loves us and God is with us. Emmanuel, Christ the Lord. And so on Christmas Eve, December the 24th, and on Christmas Day, we bring our Advent wreath to full blaze, all five candles burning, lighting the Christ candle, reminding us the birth of Christ, that Emmanuel, God, is with us. Would you stand together and let's worship Him together.